This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Rob Tombrella is a pastor at Grace Church and the speaker on this message. Come on in, take a seat, and if you wouldn't mind, take your Bibles and turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke, and we're in chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Luke is the third book in the New Testament. So if you could just find your way to Matthew and then just move over to Luke. And we're in Luke chapter 5 where Jesus calls the first disciples. Now we're in a series on weakness and we're talking about how God shows his power through our frailty. And frailty is not a word we love. It's not a word we run to. Nobody wakes up saying, man, today I hope I'm frail (laughs) so that God can use that as a platform for his grace and his strength. But we're seeing in these weeks together that that's exactly what God runs to. We don't run to frailty, but God does run to frailty. And specifically today, we're going to be talking about frailty in regards to mission. And specifically, as Jesus calls his first disciples, we're going to see that Jesus calls weak people to accomplish an impossible mission. An impossible mission calls us into the impossible to do what only he can do through us. So we're going to be looking at the first 11 verses of Luke chapter 5. And chapters of the story as I walk through this is going to be first an impossible command. That's in verses 1 through 5. And then an astonishing result in verses 6 through 8. And then an amazing invitation in verses 9 through 11. An impossible command, an astonishing result, and an amazing invitation. Let's pray together. Father, we we ask for these next few minutes together as we look into your word, Lord, that you would awaken in us what you want us to see. Do it spiritually, Lord. Help us to see what you want us to see and feel the way we ought to feel and then to move in the direction that you would lead us and guide us in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's look at Luke chapter 5, 1 through 5 together and look at this impossible command that Jesus has in calling his first disciples. It says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. In other places of the Bible, that's the Sea of Galilee. It's a common place where people gather. It's a common place where crowds gather And Jesus always gravitated to the crowds. He always shows up where the people are. And uh, and the crowds are pressing in on him to hear the word of God. It's important that Luke says that these people are coming to Jesus because they're, they're drawn to his words. And they're drawn to his words because, like Luke 4, verse 36 says, they were amazed at one another. People looked at Jesus and were amazed at his word. It says, what is this word or this message that Jesus gives? It's unlike any other message we've ever heard. For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. There's there's this power and this authority when Jesus speaks and people recognize it. And he came on the scene, Luke tells us in Luke chapter 4, declaring something blasphemous and then making it come true. 
He takes a 700-year-old document, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 61 specifically, and with a full crowd in plain view of everybody, he unrolls the 700-year-old document, points to Isaiah 61, and says, that's me. Here I am. And he reads, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolls up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all are fixed on him. Good call. (laughs) It's important to watch a guy like that because either he's a crazy loon that you need to do something with or he is who he says he is. And so he actually goes and starts to perform Isaiah 61. He begins to set captives free. He begins to speak with authority and demons rush out and and starts to push back darkness and evil. And he, he puts his hand on people in compassion and they're healed. And he drives away sickness and fever. And he's doing what no man can do. No man does this. Only the Messiah of Isaiah 61 does this. Only the king of kings pronouncing a kingdom does that, a kingdom that's breaking into this present kingdom. So it's no surprise that the crowds are pressing in by the man with authority and power by the Sea of Galilee. And that's where we find him in verse 1. Crowds pressing in, wanting to hear him, probably asking him for things. There's a buzz by the lake. And in verse 2, it says, He saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. We're just supposed to picture this as normal life. They, they fished all night long. That's what you do after you fish all night long. You go and you wash your nets, you mend your nets, you get ready for the next, the next outing. And there's no fish in those nets, by the way. And in verse 3, it says, Getting into one of the boats... Which was Simon's, that's Simon Peter, which we learn more about in the book of Luke. Getting into Simon's boat, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now this is an amazing scene, right? You just can't quite put Jesus in a box. You would expect him to... To, to find the, the, the tallest platform possible and to be speaking and his arms out like this and spit going everywhere like I do. And uh, he's not doing that. He's, you see him in a boat. I mean, it's almost a little bit offensive if, if, if you're not careful. It's almost like, I mean, he's, he's, not, he's not coming impressive. He's, he's modeling a, a gentleness towards people. And so he's actually sitting down in a fisherman's boat and he's teaching people. And they're just amazed probably by his very posture towards them. And it says, And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now this is uh, interesting because Peter is a fisherman by trade. He's an expert at fishing. And so Jesus is not that. He's... He's a carpenter. He is not a fisherman by trade. That's not his trade. It's not his background. That's not how he was raised in that, in that world. And so for Jesus to say this to Peter 
is, is pretty profound and pretty amazing. And he says, put out a little and, and put your, put your net and, uh, and you'll, you'll get a catch. That's what he says. Put out into the deep, let down your nets for a catch. So here it is. Jesus has, is speaking with some authority here. If you do this, you're going to catch some fish. And notice what happens. And Simon answered, respectfully, of course, because that's what you do, especially in front of people. He answers respectfully, Master, we, the experts here, toiled all night and took nothing. He kind of gives three obstacles to Jesus' commands. First of all, we're the experts. We've toiled all night. That's when the fish bite. They don't fish. They don't bite in the day. We've we've gone out here where the optimal time for fishing, and we caught nothing. Not one fish or ten. We've caught nothing. So he throws his obstacles up, and he says, "But at your word, I will let down the nets." So there's something impossible that Peter's aware of. Jesus is asking him to do something that is scary to Peter in this moment. Now maybe Peter is concerned for Jesus' reputation. Could be. I mean he might think, I don't I don't want to I mean here he's got this big following. I don't want him to lose his his following. I don't want him to lose the platform already that he's built and he's established by something embarrassing happen like no fish when we drop this net, which I'm certain there's no fish right here when we Drop this thing down into the deep. There was something about going out into the deep that was scary to Peter. Well, he says what it is. He'd been out there. He's, Jesus is asking Peter to do the impossible, to go back into a place where he's failed. To go back into a place that's been a setback for him. Go back into a place that's a letdown. Remember, he's tired because he's fished all night long and he's caught nothing. With all of his ingenuity, all of his creativity, all of his energy, all of his strength, all of his power, and all of that, all night long, and nothing. And now Jesus is saying, go right to that spot where you have failed and put down your net for a catch. There must have been some... I don't know, embarrassment, maybe? Maybe a little bit of a shame? I mean, what if, what if he's right? What if I do obey and, and there is a catch? Will I, will I feel shame? Or, or what if he's just wrong and here he's going to add insult to injury and have me do it, and I'm going to lose my reputation in front of everybody? It's one thing to say, I've, I've, I've done my expert fishing and, you know, the fish just aren't biting at night. It's another thing to go out there in the day with everybody watching again and experience shame all over again. To experience the waste, to experience the emptiness. Peter doesn't want to go out into the deep. And Peter's a lot like us. We don't want to go out into a place where we could fail where we could experience a letdown again. God calling anybody to faithfulness in a place of failure, a place where you felt let down, a place of setback, and you're saying, I don't, I don't want to go out into the deep. I don't want to go there. 
It's a scary place. It represents emptiness to me. It, it represents waste and fear. And there's a temptation when Jesus calls us to do something impossible, like faithfulness in a difficult place. We start to wonder, God, do you know what's there? You must not know, otherwise you wouldn't ask me to do this. So there's some, there's some issue here with you. <laughs> That's what Simon's like. You know, either you, you don't know or you don't care. Those, it's one of those two things. And that's over and over again the disciples' problems. They either think that Jesus doesn't know when he asks them to do something impossible and amazing, or they think he does know, but he just, he just doesn't care. Do you remember the feeding of the 4,000 and the feeding of the 5,000? Uh, they go to Jesus and they, they respectfully say, Master, send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and the villages and buy themselves something to eat. I mean, that's smart, smart thinking. Strategic thinking, wise thinking. Somebody could look at that and say, man, it's compassionate. You're thinking about the crowds. And Jesus says, they don't need to go anywhere. You give them something to eat. Jesus says, you've walked with me. You've seen me do the amazing. Now you do it. You you do the impossible. Look to me and my strength and my ability and, 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 and do it. I do know. Jesus says to those disciples. Do you remember when Lazarus' body is, is in the tomb and he says, roll away the stone and the disciples say, well, don't you know? Literally, that's their words. Don't you know Lazarus' body has been in there for days? Let me inform you. Kind of like Peter. Let, let me inform you of what you obviously don't know. There's no fish there. There's a decaying body behind the stone. Or if he does know, like Martha in the kitchen, we can say to God, do you not care? (laughs) You see how hard I'm working. You see my labors and you see my effort. So there's no issue there with your knowledge. There just must be an issue there with your compassion and your heart. You must not care. That's what Martha says to Jesus. Do you not care that my sisters left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Jesus says, no, I'm not going to tell her to help you. She's doing what she ought to do. She's at my feet, listening to my word, enjoying my presence. Remember, they're out in the, in the boat, and there's this big squall, big storm out at sea. And he's asleep in the stern, and they're, they're worried. And they wake him up, and they say, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Where are you tempted today? Maybe you're tempted with both. I, I'm, I'm doubting that he knows and I'm doubting that he cares. Or maybe it's just it's one of those. You're, you're hitting that wall. He's asking me to go out into the deep in some area. He's asking me to trust me in a place where I, I'm scared and I, I feel like there's going to be a failure if I, if I go out there. But he knows. And he cares. And he wants us to resist that temptation. See, Jesus is going to teach Simon when he calls him as his disciple. It's because he knows and it's because he cares that he wants to show Peter that he's the only one who can reverse his failure and turn shame upside down. Now He's going to do it through fish in this moment. And he's going to do it through a cross later. 
He's just going to give, give Peter a glimpse. I mean, it doesn't take Jesus much. It doesn't take him much to give Peter a glimpse of who he is and who Peter is and how grace meets him in his need. Second Corinthians says it this way, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. You see the reversal? Jesus is the one who can reverse our fortunes, reverse our destinies. Him being rich became poor so that me, through his poverty, might become rich by just faith in him, by just trusting in him. And this is the gospel that anybody can get in on. Maybe you're sitting here today, I've never gotten in on that. Never quite heard it that way. Never trusted in Jesus and his grace like this. I've been swimming around in my own failure, my own regrets, my own guilt, but I've never actually looked to him in trust and in faith. Maybe you know somebody. Well, the truth is, like Peter, Jesus knows us better than we know us. Jesus knew Peter better than Peter knew Peter. (laughs) And Jesus has come near to us to do what we can't do. That's what he does. And by faith in him, you can receive forgiveness and you can receive eternal life. That's what we need. Deepest need is to be forgiven, have the slate wiped clean, to be declared innocent in the courtroom of God and to be in a right relationship with the God who made us, to be in a right relationship of love with God. Well, Jesus asked him to do the impossible, an impossible command. Well, let's look at... The astonishing result of what happens. So Peter says, Master, we toiled all night, took nothing. You just have to slip that in. Need need, need you to be aware of that. Before I attempt this, need to save a little face here. He says, but at your word, I'll let down the nets. So Peter's heart is just thumping. He can feel it on the inside of his chest. Everybody's watching. His reputation's on the line. Jesus' reputation's on the line. So what he does is he just trusts his word. That's what he says. At your word, I'm going to do what you said to do. Verse 6. And when they had done this. It doesn't say when they felt right about it. (laughs) It's not like when I was emotionally charged up. No, it's just when they obeyed what Jesus said to do, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. In this moment, they don't count up the fish. They just said it's so large, the nets are breaking at this point. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled, listen to this, both of the boats. That's a boatload of fish, literally. They, they filled them up. And that's like a, that's like a 10 foot, 13 foot long boat. I lost my spot. Here we are. They signaled the partner. Okay. And they came and they filled both boats so that they began to sink. <laughs> We're talking about it's a whole lot of fish flapping around in the boat when a well-crafted boat is beginning to sink under the weight and the pressure 
of all these fish that are, that are filling, not just one, but two. It's like the fish are jumping into the boat. I mean, they are sinking down into the water at this point. Now, Jesus is teaching something to Peter that is just discipleship 101. That you, in your flesh, your ability, your ingenuity, your creativity, can do nothing. And with me, you can do everything. It's like that. It's like black and white. There's not this middle area of gray that we like to play around with. Like I can do a little bit and God can do a little bit and I can do a little bit and God can do a little bit. It's, it's no, Jesus said, I'm the vine. Here, here's, here's, how, here's the relationship. Okay, here's the discipleship relationship. I'm vine. <laughs> your branch. I'm the vine. You're the branches. And so everybody gets that, okay? I know what a vine looks like. I know what a branch looks like. In that culture, you'd understand. Okay, okay, I got, I got you so far. And so Jesus says, whoever abides in me, that just remains attached, trusting me. And I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's the principle that Jesus is teaching Peter. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's really bad news, isn't it? I mean, it's really bad news if you, if you want to do things in your own strength, and your own effort. That's not the way of Christ. Jesus is apart from me. You can do nothing. I'm not going to let you succeed now apart from my strength, apart from my power, apart from my ability, apart from my grace. But like Mark 10.27 says, with man things are impossible, but not with God who is Jesus. All things are possible with God. So there's good news in that. Yes, apart from Jesus, I can do nothing, but with him, amazing things can result. Astonishing things. This is what happened in the boat. Things like that can take place in my life if I just obey his words. So Jesus is teaching Peter, faith in my words equals fruitfulness. You don't have to feel right about it. You don't have to wait for this moment, this mountaintop moment. You put your faith in my words and some eternal fruitfulness is going to result in that. Hebrews 11 says, without faith it's impossible to please him. You think, well, why is that? Why, why is faith so important to please God? Well, he, the Hebrew writer writes, for whoever would draw near to God must believe something, must believe that he exists. Nobody's going to draw near to God if they don't believe that he exists. You won't draw near to God today if you don't believe that he exists. But you know what else? You won't draw near to God if you don't believe the second part, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He's a good God. You draw near to a God of mercy and grace and compassion. That's the God that you seek, and that's, that's what happens, and that's how we please him. And without faith, it's impossible to do so. Well, it's an astonishing result. Peter, who has invested his career into fishing, probably, uh, you might think, would jump up and down at the excitement of this catch and of a relationship now with this person who could make him world famous. You want to talk about showing up at... Bass Pro Shop and other places being the expert world-class fisherman, Peter could be, could, Peter could now go down in the history books. Wealth and status and prestige and every, everything that he's ever dreamed of 
with this incredible relationship with this person who can enclose such a number of fish that boats sink down. Well, that's actually not what happens. Look at what happens in in verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Now, now Peter, he doesn't jump up and down. He, he just stops the party right there and does the most awkward thing with a bunch of fish flapping around. He just gets down among the smelly fish and he bends his knees to the person who's in the boat. See, for the first time, Peter's beginning to understand who Jesus is. He is not a good moral teacher only. He's not an eccentric leader. He's not a self-help guru that he is starstruck by. He is God-struck in the boat. Jesus is the holy God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus is the one who spoke to Moses from the burning bush and delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. Jesus is God of very God who spoke all things into being and upholds the boat and the universe by the word of his power. God's in my boat. He's in front of me. He's drawn near to me. Peter meets his maker. The one who made me and all the fish in the net and all the trees that made the boat and all the eardrums listening and all the eyes watching is in my boat. And he deserves all of me. And there's just something that happens when we come face to face with Jesus like that. That Jesus. When we see him for who he is, we start to see who we are. And that's what Peter does. He he sees who he is. For the first time, he understands who he is. He's been arrogant and he's been spiritually blind and he's been stupid and he has been sinful is his words depart from me for i am a sinful man and he hits his knees before jesus and he's in that moment declaring something i'm needy you have all the power you have all the grace you are the lord of all and i'm not jumping out of the boat I'm hitting my knees before my creator and I'm recognizing my real need for God's real grace. And that's the difference between Peter following Jesus from the crowds 
and Peter knowing Jesus from the boat. So I believe many people in our city believe in Jesus from the crowds. He's a moral teacher, spiritual guru. Maybe he's even one that can provide marvelous catches of fish if we ask him to. But many people in our city don't know him from inside the boat as a rescuing savior. They don't know him as God. They don't know him as the only one who can give them the only thing they really need, which is forgiveness and eternal life. If you were to ask me, why does the church exist? I would say one of the reasons this church exists is to move people from the crowd to the boat. And that's, that's where Peter gets this amazing invitation. So let's see what happens. They were amazed, and Jesus says to Simon, in the moment of his fear, notice the next thing that comes out of his mouth, do not be afraid. Jesus knows exactly how Peter's feeling right now, and that's fear. He's coming face to face with a holy God, and he can't go anywhere. He is known by God, and he knows who he is, and he knows his sinfulness, and he knows his inclinations, he knows his past, his history, and now... He's afraid, but Jesus says, don't. Don't be afraid. Notice what his very next breath is. From now on, you'll be catching men. He says, I'm going to lift your head up from where you are. And in the same moment, I'm going to forgive you of the things that you've thought and the things that you've done. And I'm going to reinstate you and commission you and call you and give you purpose. I'm going to give you life in relationship with me and in that relationship, I'm going to actually give you purpose and, and, and a commissioning. I'm going to send you out. I mean, he's like, I'm going to rewrite your story, Peter. You thought the story was going this way, and I'm intersecting your story, and I'm going to send you this way with a whole new destiny. It's an amazing invitation. And uh, notice what, what happens. He says, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. So he says, just like, see all these fish in this boat that are making the boat sink? These smelly fish, these small fish, these big fish. They're all kinds of different kinds of fish. He says, that's what you're going to be doing the rest of your days. <laughs> you're going to be going out into the crowds like I've been going out into the crowds. And you're going to be catching people. You're going to be catching people. You're going to be a people catcher. And verse 11 says, And when they brought their boats to the land, they, not just Peter now, all of them who were amazed and astonished at this catch, left everything and followed him. Good call. Good call. That's what you do when you see something like that. When the Messiah shows up and the King of Kings shows up in your boat and he says, Don't be afraid. I'm going to send you out. You're going to be catching people. You leave everything and you follow him. And that's exactly what they do. I was, I was in Haiti and I had an opportunity to, uh, to just carry a, a book with me and I carried along a book, an autobiography by John G. Patton. And it's an autobiography you can, you can get for free on Kindle. And it, he was a missionary to the New Hebedries. That's modern day Vanuatu. And it was just something about being in Haiti that I thought, Man, this is a great opportunity to read up on a missionary biography. Somebody that did just mighty exploits for God. And I just encourage you to get this book if you love edge of your seat 
adventure books where just God is showing up and astonishing things like this is happening page after page. You've got to get this book. Well, uh, at near the end of the book, I'm going I'm to just tell you one of, the st- one of the stories. This is not the only one, but one of the stories. John Patton is, uh, is just burdened for one of the islands of the New Hebrides. This is a bunch of islands on the northeast of, of Australia. And he's burdened for the living conditions of the children on the island and the families and the people because they didn't have any fresh water. So he's just looking around and people are dying both from, from just filth and, and uh, their living conditions and, no, and nothing to drink. And so he decides to do something that Ireland has never done, and that's dig a well. The only problem is he has no idea how, you know, where to dig a well. He, he doesn't have any real good instruments for the digging of this well. He just, he just sees a need, and he's just got to fulfill this need for the people. And he just starts to pray, literally just starts to pray, God, show me where in the world to dig a well. He knows it needs to be about 30 feet deep, but he doesn't know what's going to happen. Am I going to strike salt water? I mean, is it just going to be salty and un, undrinkable? So he has no idea. Is it going to be a wasted effort? Uh, he doesn't know. But he just feels this burden, this calling from the Lord to go out into the deep and attempt something impossible. And so he just prays for a spot, gets a spot of ground, and starts to, to dig a well. And this is what he says. My constant fear was that owing to our environment, the water, if water I found, could only be salt water after all my toils. Still, I resolved to sink that shaft in hope and in faith that the Son of God would be glorified thereby. One morning I said to the old chief and his fellow chief, both now inquiring about the religion of Jesus, I'm going to sink a deep well down into the earth to see if our God will send us fresh water up from below. They looked at me with astonishment and said in a tone of sympathy, approaching pity, Oh, Missy, that's their word for missionary. Oh, Missy, wait till the rain comes down and we will save all we possibly can for you. I replied, we may all die for lack of water. If no fresh water can be got, we may be forced to leave you. The old chief looked imploringly and said, Oh, Missy, you must not leave us for that. Rain comes only from above. How could you expect our island to send up showers of rain from below? I told him, Fresh water does come up springing from the earth in my land at home, and I hope to see it here also. The old chief grew more tender in his tones and cried, Oh, Missy, your head is going wrong. You are losing something. Or you would not talk crazy like that. Don't let our people hear you talking about going down into the earth for rain. Or they will never listen to your word or believe you again. So now he's thinking, my reputation is on the line. He's like Peter. My reputation is on the line. All this following, all these people that are looking to me, they're not going to listen anymore if this doesn't come come true and so they go on poor missy that's the way they all go who go mad (laughs) there's no driving a notion out of their heads they they said to him in in his presence we must just watch him now they just think he's just going to pass out so he starts digging this well with all his might and he just talks about the experience of just the sweat and the the draining at one point he's down in the well 
and, and it collapses in on him and he escapes for his life. I mean, he barely survives. And so all the help that he got from the villagers, they're gone now. They don't want anything to do with helping because they're afraid that they're going to get blamed for the death of Missy. And so, uh, so they're just, they've, they've just given up. They're not helping him. They're just watching him day after day dig this well. And he is just in faith, just, just travailing through this effort. And, uh, and so then they appeal to him. When he almost dies, they go up to him and they just, they have like this crisis intervention. They say, give up this mad freak for no rain will be found by going downwards on Aniwa. That was the island on Aniwa. No men want to be buried with you. Will you not give it up now? And he's just about at the point of, of giving it up where he just gets this, this sense from the Lord that he's going to catch water tomorrow. To dig a little further, he's going to get water. And so he he has this brave conversation with the chief of the village. And he says, I think tomorrow I'm going to have water. The chief says, no, you're not going to have water. You're going to die down there in that well. And we're going to get blamed for it. And he writes, the next morning I went down again at daybreak. And I sank a narrow hole in the center about two feet deep. And I trembled through every limb when the water rushed up and began to fill the hole. Muddy though it was, I eagerly tasted it, lapping it with my trembling hand, and then almost fell upon my knees in that muddy bottom as my heart burst up in praise to the Lord. It was water. It was fresh water. It was living water from Jehovah's well. So he, he takes this jug of water. He, he takes an empty jug down there to prove he's not faking and brings it back up with water. And he says the old chief shook it to see if it would spill and then touched it to see if it felt like water. And at last he tasted it and rolling it in his mouth with joy for a moment, he swallowed it and shouted, rain. Rain. Yes, it is rain. But how did you get it? I repeated, Jehovah, my God, gave it out of his own earth and and, in answer to our labors and prayers. Go and see it springing up for yourselves. Now, though every man there could climb the highest tree as swiftly and as fearlessly as a squirrel, not one of them had the courage to gaze down into that well. To them, this was miraculous. So they agreed to take firm, wholly of each other by hand, to place themselves in a long line and peer cautiously into the mystery when all had seen the old chief. And then they exclaimed, Missy, wonderful, wonderful is the work of your Jehovah God. No God of Aniwa ever helped us in this way. The world is turned upside down since Jehovah came to Aniwa. And then he says, then the old chief the next Sabbath, asked to say something to the villagers. And he gives them permission. And he stands up in front of everybody and he says, something here in my heart tells me that the Jehovah God does exist. The invisible one, whom we never heard nor saw till the Missy brought him to our knowledge. The water was invisible till this day, yet all the time it was there. Though our eyes were too weak. So I, your chief, do now firmly believe that when I die, when the bits of coral and heaps of dust are removed, which now blind my old eyes, I shall see the invisible Jehovah God with my soul, as Missy tells me, just as I've seen the rain from the earth below. The gods of Aniwa cannot hear, cannot help us like the God of Missy. 
Henceforth, I'm a follower of Jehovah God. Let every man fetch the idols of Aniwa, the gods which our fathers feared, and cast them down. Let us burn and bury and destroy these things of wood and stone, and let us be taught by the misty how to serve the God who can hear. For he sent his son Jesus to die for us and bring us to heaven. And John Patton says, This message and the sinking of the well broke the back of lostness on Aniwa, and the whole village turns in revival and, and comes to Jesus. They all, they all believe in Jesus through this, through this event. I mean, it's an amazing story of, of God asking John Patton to do the impossible, strike out into the deep and do what only I can do. And I just was, I was thinking about this. I was going through this story and I was just realizing there, there's a little bit of a connection. We're not, we're not Aniwa. We're not. We're not pretending to be Aniwa. <laughs> we're not Haiti. But next week we are going to take some jars and we're going to meet at the land and we're going to do like John Patton did. We're going to dig in faith that Jesus is glorified and we're going to take our jars and we're going to fill it up with dirt. And I just thought, you know, like Aniwa, the gods of our city, which are status and money and the perfect external life and the perfect family and all that stuff, those gods also cannot hear and they cannot help. And they are just as cruel and blinding as any witchcraft that you would see in Haiti or any witchcraft you'd see on Aniwa. And we want to be a well of living water to this city, from the very center of the city. I mean, we just want to be a well, like an oasis of grace to all kinds of people. Showing grace to children and youth and young adults and families of all flavors. And so just by going out there next week, we're just going to meet out there at 1.30 together. We're just going to, it's not, it's not a gimmick. It's just a moment where we just declare something. God, we want to be radical in our trust of you. We want to believe you to do the impossible through weak people, through frail people, through unimpressive people, like all of your disciples are in the Bible and around the world. Jesus, we want you to make us fishers of men. We want to catch people who don't just, we don't want to catch people and just Keep them in the crowds. We want to catch people who say, I'm going to leave everything. I'm going to leave everything. And follow that God. The God that I see. The God that I've experienced to the people of Grace Church. That's what it's about. That's what, that's what, that's what going to Frisco Square is all about. It's God's given us this spot of dirt. <laughs> It's not an opportunity for us to just get there and just talk about how awesome we are. It's a place to dig a well and say, come and drink. Come and know. Come and experience love and life and freedom. Let's all stand and we're going to close in prayer. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.com dot o-r-g